Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to the best podcast in tiers 1, 2 and 3, Insane in the Membrane. Hi again. It's that time again. I love this. You love this. Let's do it. But before we do it, I need to tell you about my radio show on Islington Radio, now available on Mixcloud, uh, bringing you some of the best music from down the ages. Um, we cover all bases. You need to get involved because I have great taste in music and I know that you will enjoy it. So get on to that. Islington Radio. It's on Mixcloud right now. Hi, guys. Welcome again to the show. I hope you're all right. I hope you're well. Still mad, confusing times. We've had the update today. I don't really know what we're allowed to do, what we're allowed not to do. But just, I don't know. I know we're doing it so we don't kill each other. So that's that's why it's happening. We've got to remember that. We've got to remember that. Um, I hope you're doing okay. If you're not, drop me a line. We'll have a chat. Because I've got to be honest, I've had a bit of a wobble this week. I had, it, it got a bit. It gets like that sometimes, doesn't it? And then I come in here and I have a chat with some wonderful guests, and it all and it feels better. Uh, next week on uh, Insane in the Fembrane, we've got the brilliant Zoe Lyons, and it's been an absolute joy to speak to her. It really did fire me up. She's such a wonderful woman. So that was cool. that was cool. That'll be coming to you next week. Also coming up on uh, this very podcast, we've got Jamie Green and Tom Aldridge. Now Jamie Green, you won't have, you won't have heard of. Some comedians might have met Jamie in Edinburgh and around about the places. Jamie um, is a wheelchair user, uh, but he gets stuck in. That boy does not let thing that thing slow him down. He gets about, and you would have seen him in Edinburgh taking in all the shows. Um, and Tom Aldridge, uh, Tom Aldridge played Ron Weasley, or is playing Ron Weasley, uh, in the stage show Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And it was great to have Tom on. Uh, that's coming at you in, in the next coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and, and like I say, it's a bit like Jamie. You know, it's not all about names. It's you know, the, the, I like to have people on that are interesting and not necessarily famous. Um, just because I just want, I've just wanted, to, you know, I want to change it up a little bit and have people on that are interesting. You know, I love always said that interesting people and and take a punt, have a listen. I think you'll be, I think you'll be suitably impressed. Um, so do that for us. Um, and so this this week, this week, my guest. Um, I'm a huge fan, have been for many years. Uh, his, I, his book, Things Snowball, came out in 2002. One of the funniest books I've ever read. I do talk about it in, this, in the episode briefly. It, it, honestly, if you haven't 
got it get it yourself on you get it you'll get it on ebay or amazon it won't it'll only cost you a couple of quid go and get yourself this book it is absolutely brilliant ritual a fantastic comedian one of those again that you kind of i watch him work and i'm like oh yeah that's what i want that's what i aspire to you know like you know and i try i know I, I think i kept the sicker fancy down i don't think i bum licked too much i think i kept it kept a lid on it i was just so excited to get him on and have a chat uh, so you will hear in the background you will hear kids and dogs coming in and uh, and so yeah that's just a there's just life happening around our guest at the moment so uh, anyway coming up in just a sec is rich hall ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. A podcast from producer paul.co.uk. How, how you been anyway? Are you well? Yeah, I'm, I'm all right. Um, you know, uh, I got back to the UK in uh, late September and I was doing some um, stuff on weekends, but uh, that's been curtailed and for a while. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe might start back soon again. I'm hoping. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They just announced the new, the new lockdown things again. It just changed all the time. It just you don't. I, I, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed making plans. Right. You know, and now you can't. You kind of you go. Oh, maybe I'll be able to do that in March, but I don't know. You have to. It's weird. It's a weird time, isn't it? We're just. Yeah, you can't plan anything. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. You just got to sit. Just sit. It's and like wait. being trapped in a cabin in the North Woods. <laughs> just trying to find ways to entertain yourself. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's, there's no excuse not to stay busy. You know, there's certainly if you're a comedian or a writer, then you can always just keep producing. You just have you have yeah. no outlet for trying it out, but we will. You know. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were talking about that before. I was talking about that before on another episode about that. Yeah, and this won't be this way forever. It will eventually we will move back into maybe the comedy circuit won't be as it was, but there'll still be dark corners where we can stand and say stuff. That's, yeah. It'll be like comedy has been made illegal. 
<laughs> yeah, like the yeah. speakeasies. <laughs> but you grew up in, uh, is it North Carolina? I grew Carolina? up in Kentucky and North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, how was that? Because I have no experience of that. I've been, to, I've, I've been to, you know, the, I've been to New York and I've been to, I've been to LA and Vegas. Yeah. But I haven't really travelled around much. What was it like in North Carolina? Uh, the South is, you know, I have, I have a special affinity for the South because I grew up there, and uh, it's very, uh, you know, the, probably the cliches you've heard about it are probably pr- pretty evident. Uh, it's yeah. slightly. I don't know. Southerners have a kind of sense of uh, like we have a way of doing things and people up north or, or, you know, we have our own kind of, you know, internal logic. I think, you know, the comedian um, Jeff Foxworthy, who used to do that whole you might be a redneck if was was kind of all based on the, the southern attitude that like, well, you know, things might be, you know, intellectual and really fancy up north but there's just good old you know southern logic to get by in the south and yeah, uh, though, yeah. though i never really much appreciated uh jeff foxworthy's jokes I, I knew exactly where they were coming from and i knew why they resonated so well in the south you know because southerners very very proud people and very proud of their hospitality that's that's one thing it's great about yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to say that. They, yeah, they seem very generous. Yeah, when you go to a place like New Orleans, they have a word called laniap, which means something for nothing and literally means, you know, if you go to a restaurant or something, they'll bring out something that you hadn't ordered and just, and they're, they're very, they, they love doing that. They love seeing people having a good time and people going away happy, you know. And, oh, and that's, that. that's one of my, it's, it's one of my favorite cities, New Orleans, just for that reason. Yeah. I love that. That's the, and this is the thing. We only know what's fed to us, you know, via the news and, and especially at the moment, you know, and movies. Yeah. yeah. And I did, yeah, when I, that's the thing. When I was in America, I did, I was in Poughkeepsie. I was doing bananas yeah. in Poughkeepsie and I wandered around Poughkeepsie and I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm on a set. It was, it was fucking great. But that these things don't really get talked about like you know with the, especially way things are at the minute whenever we see america it's always this fighting and there's a this, and it's it's all the bullshit with trump yeah and, which is insane that like, won't fuck mm-hmm. off will he <laughs> well he'll 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 be pushed into the margins eventually he already is but i think he's gonna have you know he's it's like the tea party but even stronger it's it's gonna it's gonna have its He's going to have his followers for for years, and he's going to be able to manipulate the uh, politics, particularly you know right wing politics, and and he, it's going to be hard for anyone to uh, even contemplate running against him because he already seems to be the designated candidate for twenty twenty four, which is probably not going to work in four years. I just can't see him. I can't see him expanding his base any more than it is now. You know. I like no, I like to think yeah. that Biden, even though he may be just a sort of normal, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy, is people are just so drawn to a sense of normalcy again, you know. Which, yeah. Well, that was it. Yeah, it was just any. It didn't matter who it was, as long as it wasn't yeah, Trump to a certain degree. And he and he played it very well, Joe Biden. He just kind of stayed holed up in his basement and sent out missives and and just kept focusing on on you know trying to on the positive side of things and i, I yeah. to a certain degree it worked although it's frightening how many how many votes trump still got i mean he got 74 million votes or something like that which 
wow. I believe makes him the biggest loser in presidential history. <laughs> That's terrifying, yeah. isn't it? That despite all the evidence, people just went, nah, he's still the man. He's still the guy. Yeah, and I, because I have a real affinity for, for um, rural people, you know. I, I live in Montana now, and, and I'm, so, you know, so many people I know are, are you know, ranchers and and um, mm. agrarian types, and and they're fantastic yeah. people, you know. And you just kind of learn to avoid politics. But these are the people who vote for Trump, and it strikes me I can't quite square in my head what what they see in him, you know, because they they're probably you know farmers, uh, ranchers are, are very. Uh, virtuous people you know they and they pride mm. themselves on it and yet they've somehow managed to uh to decide that they prefer this guy you know it's i guess it's it might just be a huge distrust of big government and all, all the things yeah. that that trump claimed to be against that uh that they yeah. they stand behind him you know and i i can't quite figure it out because because republicans no. are are for the most part, decent people, you know, and just they, they have very specific values and, and you kind of uh, kind of respect that. But mm. somehow Trump has he got him on his side. I, I, and I, yeah. I can't explain even as an American, even as someone who's fairly astute about, you know, what's going on in the country. I can't quite I, I can't quite figure that part out. No, it's like over here with Boris Johnson. You kind of know uh, Boris did really well on Have I Got News yeah. for You, and then it kind of and then it went. That was it. Everyone's like, Oh, yeah, yeah, no, he's fine. We we enjoyed him. He's a he's a buff, he's mm-hmm. a buffoon. And then the buffoon took charge. You're like, No, no, no you don't need a buffoon in yeah. charge. This is fucked yeah. now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't understand what I don't understand the political mind. You know, I don't understand. You know. You know, the old saying, politics yeah. is for is show business for ugly people. Maybe that's it. Maybe <laughs> you, get, you get caught up in that. But, I, you know, it's it's so transparent to me. And part of the problem that we're, that this country and, and America is um, suffering right now is, is that we tend to let the government dictate what what we're going to do, even though we know inside that we know as much about what's going on as they do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I see these are elected by us, these people in order to run things in our name and, and, and uh, that gets lost. doesn't no. it? It's like, you're, you're like, you know, we're not working for you. You're working for I know, us. I know, but you don't get a chance to say to their face. I, I tried to talk no. to Michael Gove once and, uh, he just slagged me off. You know, it was at a, some, one of those garden shows that, the, the Chelsea Flower Show that I oh, that yeah. I end up at every year, even though I have no interest in it. And uh, but I always <laughs> get to go on press day before you know the throng show up. And uh, I hate Michael Gove. I hate him basically because he, he he doesn't like uh, he he's not a fan of Steinbeck, and he tried to get the the book thrown out of the curriculum. You know what? Yeah, oh, yeah. Grapes of Wrath, yeah. and I've always held that against him. And I didn't start out well because I said, Michael Gove, what an asshole. So it's not a good starting point. 
conversation. <laughs> but then I tried, you know, then I just tried to launch into a, you know, just to, yeah, just to, ha- just to see where he was coming from. He was waiting for a car to pick him up and he had nowhere to go. So I just engaged him and it, uh, he just, and he wouldn't nah, have it. He was nah. very surly. Yeah, wanker. <laughs> so you're back in Montana. No, no, I'm, I'm in London right now. Yeah. Right, okay. But you've moved, you, you're saying you're living there now. You've gone back, you come back and forth. A lot, yeah. 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 And do you find that, do you, is it nice, is it nice having that to go back to, just that? It's it's not only nice to go back to, it's it's also, you know, the insanity of, of living in a, in a big city, particularly in a foreign, which is still a foreign country to me, you know, sometimes just having that in the back of my head that I do, that I know I have a place to go and I look forward to going yeah. back there is fantastic. Doesn't mean I have to be there all the time. Uh, you can't. No, it's nice to have that. Experience. Yeah, because I I thrive on on crowds, and you don't get those in Montana. You're not gonna. No. You, you get herds. <laughs> you get more herds than crowds. <laughs> so, in, in terms of keeping a mental balance, a, a stable mental balance, that's that's that works for me. It's not. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've spoken about this before, where someone said to me do you like being on your own and I'm like yeah I do but it's because I know I've got things to go back to so I'm alright for a bit but I know in the back of my mind I've got friends and I've got places I yeah. can be where I'm amongst everyone I think if I didn't have it if I didn't have that then I'd probably struggle a bit more on my yeah. own yeah you know but um, I I, te- I was telling this to producer Paul just now I tell this to everybody your book Things Snowball which I know is like nearly 18 years yeah. ago now He's one of the funniest books I've oh, ever read. Thanks. And one of the, it was one of the few books I've read where I was li- I was reading it on the train and laughing, laughing out loud. And this, it was the stepladder. Oh, yeah. When you were explaining the, the, <laughs> the, the fact that there's all these rules to operate a stepladder, yeah. but there's only like five to operate a nuclear power yeah. plant. <laughs> yeah. And I just, where I did, I mean, that's, it's one of the best books ever. Do you, where are they, where did the stories come from? Are they just been kicking around for ages? Or? I think a few had, and a few would just be, uh, you know, I'd go out for a run or something, realizing I had to fill this book up, and then ideas would just pop into my head, you know, like the germ of an idea, and then I'd go back and work it out in print. So, uh, yeah. yeah, some were biographical, some were just, just, you know, pulled them out of my ass, basically. <laughs> and uh, I went back and looked at it. I don't know a couple of weeks ago, and I think I think the problem with um, writing uh, books of short pieces is that mm. when you go back and look at them later, you see the ones that stand out, and you see the ones that you think, "Oh man, I was just I just phoned that one in," you know. But yeah, you have yeah, no yeah. idea of how people are going to respond. So uh, I um. I did that, and then I wrote some other books after that, and, and I'm working on another book now, which is basically um, uh, kind of uh, really um, uh, heavily uh, heavily fictionalized biography. Oh, well, really? not a biography, not in the sense of not in the normal biogra- biographical sense of a linear progression, but it's called Nine Gigs, and it's about nine different things that I've done in my career that struck me as as just you know maybe maybe not career changing or 
or career yeah. propelling, but just crazy uh, performances, you know, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From not only from being on stage, but from from writing or uh, or traveling around, uh, you know, before I was a comedian. Yeah. And so they're just kind of, I don't know. It sort of jumps back and forth, you know. It's not. It's not. Um, it's not linear, like I say. It's just back. No, and no. Like, yeah, I, like, I, that I haven't really decided yeah. what order they're going. They don't. They don't necessarily start out with me in my first gig or anything like that. You know, I'm not sure. Which, yeah. that, that might be up to the publishers to decide. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. And is it true? It's like you say. It's a part well. It's it's a memoir. It's a memoir. Yeah. Yeah. But not. But since it's, I mean, what I found is that uh, nobody, if you're, you know, trying to write a biography, you, you don't remember where you were when things happened or what exactly was said. So there's a tremendous amount of, of uh, license mm. involved, you know, yeah. because I'm, I'm trying to describe my first Edinburgh or the, the, my first writing gig or something. And, you know, I can't remember, you know, I, no, I, I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't take extensive notes at the time. I didn't really keep diaries. So I've just gone back and, and so the incidents are true, but it's, it's highly reimagined. But the yeah. thing about that is, is um, as opposed to just writing a book of just whatever, you know, comes to mind and throwing it at the wall. There's a, I, I, I have a, I, I have an idea of what I'm, of what I need to write about, you know, and it's just a matter yeah. of, trying to uh to get it all in order so i like that part as i say do you like the writing do you enjoy i do yeah that's a great thing for like for lockdown down. it's it's um it's really because i started in the summer and so it's really kind of taken over and uh it's probably the best thing to replace getting to go on stage you know because yeah. it takes a lot of you kind of get i think when you're writing a book you really get caught up in it and everybody around you just you know, my family, they all know I'm working on it. So they just think, ah, his head's somewhere else right now. You know, uh, they steer yeah. clear of me. <laughs> just let you get on with it. Just come and relight the candle. Yeah, again. you can get away with, you can get away with uh, making people think you're working, even though you're staring out the window. <laughs> I've said that before. I was in a, in a past relationship and, and she came in and she went, what have you been doing all day? I'm like, ah, oh. It's not going to make any sense if I tell exactly. you. She's like, but you're where you, you are where you were when I left <laughs> you this morning. I'm like, hey, I was trying to think of what a funny number is. What is a funny yeah. number? And she's like, oh, you're a fucking I know, idiot. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's the bane. That's the bane of a uh, 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 any artist is that you're not going to be understood. Nor can can you ex nor is it a like a tap you can just turn on and go. Oh, I'm going to go work for four hours. I'll be, I'll be back in four hours. I'm going to go write comedy for four hours. No, you, you'll sit there and do nothing. And then it'll all come in a flurry, you know? Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Normally it's all, yeah. When you're about to do something yeah. else or you're about to go to sleep or do yeah something and you go and your brain goes, study, Oh, there's that. That's, that's that bit you were missing from that idea you had. Like, ah, fuck. Yeah. All right. Come on in. Yeah. yeah. There weeks where nothing happens. And then there's hours where weeks happen. When you're writing. <laughs> and you can't and like you say you can't control it it just happens and you have to just no go with but it. i find that um to have a gun to your head whether that's a paycheck or, or a deadline uh does help you know really helps yeah. if someone says i need i need this article or i need this book or uh uh whatever 
by, you know, by Friday, then you don't have the time or the excuse to just, uh, you know, lay around and, and, and let it ruminate, you know, you really have to go after it. And, and I think that, I think, I think that's good. Uh, yeah. I I had that same conversation with my partner, Jade Adams and, in the lockdown and she was like she's got scripts to write and she's got deadlines and this and that and then and then she was like oh you could get on with your your book idea or this idea and i'm like yeah but no one's asking for <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> that was yeah. the difference like you've got you've got someone ringing you up going where is it mm-hmm. whereas i've got people go if i go i go well what's this <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that yeah so you're right in that respect yeah i worked at, when i worked on saturday night live you had to have uh you had to have your what you wanted in, to get into the show you had to have by Tuesday night for a Wednesday morning read through. So you'd come in Monday morning and you had basically two days to come up with, you know, something wonderful right away. And, um, that was an experience because quite often I did, you know, I did finally come up with something. Mm. You must've been constantly having to think of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like even though you say it's, you've got to get it ready, but you, by Tuesday. Yeah. Well, it's just a form of concentration, you know, when you really, yeah. really need something, uh, an idea, then more times than not, I found that that something will come along. If you, you know, yeah, that I don't. Yeah, I suppose it's it's training yourself, isn't it, as well? Because I know sometimes I'll sit down and go, right now, I'm going to write something, and I'll just stare yeah. at nothing. I'm like, yeah. Oh. And that, and then it, yeah, and then it, the pressure starts building up, and you, know, and then the voices start like, "Well, you're shit anyway." You go, ah, not "Yeah." Now. But it's like fishing. It's like if you just throw your line into the water and wiggle it around, you know, something might just pop up anyway, which you had no idea, uh, which would never have occurred to you, you know, randomly. Because you yeah. made some effort, you see, oh, well, oh, yeah, here's the crux of what I'm trying to, to do. I find that in songwriting yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah. I'll sit down and try to write a song about one thing, and then a certain line will come along, and I'll realize, no, that's the that's the essence of the song, and it might change completely, you know. The whole idea might change yeah. completely, but, but now I have a, a focal point. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can tell you. I don't under, you know, people who I've, I've met comedians who say, Oh, I went to a comedy class and I don't know how you can, I don't know how you can teach comedy. No, you can teach people how to put words in the yeah. right way. And I guess you can teach them but, yeah. how to uh, overcome some shyness stage fright or whatever, or you can talk about it in any way. But the only way to become a comedian is, is to just do it. Just do it. Just yeah. go up there and be either, you're going to do well, in which case you'll be encouraged, or you're going to do awful, in which case you're either going to say, I never want to do this again, or I'm going to go back and work and show these bastards next time, you know? Yeah. I remember talking to Mike Wilmot in the early, early days, and I said to him in the green room, I'm like, do you know what? I love the fact that you just come out and you just start talking. I wish I could do that. And he went, well, just walk out and start yeah. talking. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was for everybody else, <laughs> and not and not for me. It was it always it was like always looking at you guys and going, ah, oh, I'd love to do that. And you go, we're fucking yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah, Dan Aykroyd was on. Um, I was watching him on. I think it was Seth Meyers. Uh, he had and Dan Aykroyd was never a stand-up comedian. He came out of Second City in Toronto, but um, 
he said, uh, he just starts talking to Seth and he, he just says, you know, I, I, Seth, you know, you've, you know, I used to host the weekend update on Saturday Night Live and you hosted the weekend update and you were much better at, than I was. And I'm sure you blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you get people coming up to you asking you, um, oh, how do I get started in this business? And, and Seth says, yeah, I do. And, and then Dan says, well, I've got some, you know, people still come up to me all the time and ask me how to get started. And so I have some advice and his advice, which you'd think would be like, go on a stage, learn improv, you know, or learn stand up. He yeah. said, go to the comedy museum in Jamestown, New York. And, uh, that's the hometown of Lucille Ball. And they have a comedy museum there. And when you come out of that, you'll know what it's like to be a comedian and then read, um, then read, uh, Steve Martin's biography and oh, then yeah. read John Lithgow's biography. Cause that's, that's a great biography. And went, John Lithgow's not even, what? He's like an actor. <laughs> and why would you go to a museum? And I'm just sitting there thinking, this is the worst advice. <laughs> James, the comedy, if I went to Jamestown, the comedy museum wouldn't even be the first thing I would go to see. Uh, and furthermore, like if you really wanted to be a comedian, don't go to the comedy museum, go to the, go on a tour of the crappiest, weirdest, most, you know, out there museums, the museum of salt shakers or something. That's, that's where you'll find comedy. <laughs> <laughs> you'll, you'll come out of that with a with a you know the story yeah there's a chair museum in uh High yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i i've never been but i drive past this sign i'm like one day i'm gonna go and look at the chairs I know. <laughs> if nothing else just to see who's the guy you want to meet the guy who's just you know saved up all these chairs and goes to bed every night thinking Oh, I had to get my hands on that Gustav Stickley piece of furniture from that Amish community in upstate New York. If I could just get that, my collection would be complete. <laughs> it's got this room on its own yeah. ready. All the lights in position, ready for his chair. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of, of obscure museums. I, 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 yeah, the, there's um, there, I've, I've, there was one, there's a postcard museum. And I, when I say museum, it was it was a yeah. cupboard, and just had these, it just had postcards yeah. up, and they weren't even written on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like these are just old yeah. postcards. <laughs> I've been to the Dalton Shaker Museum. I've been to a pencil museum. I've been to a, a, a museum of um, uh, we of of um, ambulatory objects, which was roller skates, pogo sticks. Everything. It's and they're hilarious. <laughs> great museum and, and um it's actually a broom closet basically called KDK's in Nashville, which is just all the old uh all the old gabardine suits that country and western stars used to wear. You know, oh, with yeah. all the sequins and pearls. Um, yeah. And they weigh about like the coat weighs about twenty pounds. And these this is before air conditioning. These guys used to go out in the heat in Tennessee wearing these things and you just think how did they not die? And it's just a whole collection of them. Nudie, nudie suits, Nudie the tailor, the guy who used to do all that yeah. Elvis' stuff. A lot of those in there. It's fantastic. Oh, I yeah. love that. When you look at those guys, the country and western guys, the country music guys, the there was the, the outfits were just so I know, out there. I know. I know. 
And the hair as well. When you see pictures, was it uh, Conway, Conway Twitty and Porter Wagner? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> hey, Conway's hair, you're like, how? I don't even know where that starts. <laughs> He's got his like candy floss, like this cotton candy thing going on. And you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I was a golden age. Yeah. <laughs> and do you, and do you, do you, is that because it's Lee Crenshaw? Oh. Came, did did he come from that? Otis pretty much came from. He was sort of an amalgam of, of all the relatives that that we didn't have over for Christmas because they were so scary. And and uh, yeah, I got I got a lot of people. I got a lot of people in my family tree from you know, grew up in the in the south, grew, uh, you know, in the woods, trailer trailer parks, oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. And so it was it wasn't hard for me to put that character together. No, and he, there was something familiar. Yeah, about him. well, it was certainly familiar. It was I, I could, I could channel him so easily that uh, all I really had to do was just type, make him funny, you know. Yeah, and that's a sign of a great character, isn't it? That it, you start referring to that character as yeah, a person. Yeah, and you think like him, and, and yeah. you think, oh, what would they do in this situation? How would they respond to it? And uh, those are those are hard to come by, you know. Because I'm not, I'm not a great yeah. character comedian by any stretch. I have a limited vocal range and and um, uh, a limited ability to you know to, to mime or uh, impersonate other people. But but I never had any problem with Otis. No, he nailed uh, it. Absolutely. Now I I loved it. My my dad is a huge fan of Otis Lee Craig. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves it. He loves you. Yeah, he's a huge fan. Um, but you wrote on Letterman as well he, early in the Yeah, early I did. Days. Yeah. How how was that? Was that the same sort of pressure as SNL? Uh, no. No. Um, not at all. It was more because you're writing for someone else. And I, I could write in his voice. I could write in Letterman's voice. I think we had, you know, the same sensibilities as far as comedy goes. And uh, yeah. it was um, the first show I wrote on was live and it was on in the morning and it was just like the head writer, his name was Meryl Marco, just came in and just said, well, let's just, uh, she said, we only have one rule and that is we're, we're, we're at war with the whole motif of, of daytime television, you know, the game shows and all that. So um, yeah. that's what we did. We just, we just made a show that just was kind of rubbing the whole morning viewership, we were kind of rubbing their noses in it. And we sort of attracted this, you know, big college, uh, big college audience, university audience, and, and the kind of people who don't normally watch morning television. And it, it didn't really get the big numbers. It got huge complaints. Well, for every, oh, fan, really? for every well, fan later, there was like 20 letters to the head of, C, of NBC just saying, what the fuck? Where's the prices right? Why did you? Because we, we replaced three morning game shows and people were livid. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and this is in 1980. Yeah, so it was a lot yeah. more, yeah, a lot more starchy, a lot more stiff up, sort of. Yeah. But part of it, I mean, it, yeah. was a, it was a, we were doing a nighttime show for daytime people. And um, that was the problem. So it was evident that the show belonged on late at night. And then once it went to late night, mm -hmm. of course, it, you know, it was massively successful yeah but but that show was just you'd write stuff you'd have all day to write stuff and then um it wasn't it was meant to be throwaway humor you know i've always when i first got over here i, I wondered why there wasn't a late night 
five night a week talk show on in Britain. I know they've tried it a few times and it was awful. And yeah. I just thought, you know, in London, there's certainly no shortage of guests and there's no shortage of writers and there's just no shortage. You could easily pull that off. But, but I, finally it took me a long time to realize that that's not how Brits watch TV. They don't, they don't watch TV lying in bed, you know, staring at it between their toes, waiting to go to sleep the way you watch a lot of late night talk shows. So they don't yeah. do that, you know. So, no, no, no. Um, they, they, have, they have to get in, they have to get involved yeah. in it and immersed, and it has to mean something. Yeah, it's not yeah, like I say it's not as throwaway. No, but because it was, then there was always this sense that the jokes you were doing, it's like, well, if it doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. We'll come up with something tomorrow, you know. And Letterman, so Letterman had a great way of just was, if something didn't work, he just you know he would make fun of that. So. There was no pressure. <laughs> and that, it was great when you came up with something yeah. that really worked and and something that could be repeated, you know. But I remember on the morning show when it was first struggling and we didn't even really have a producer. The head writer was pretty much producing the show. And she just said, why don't we just bring on some, bring in our dogs and show them and let them do some tricks. And that turned into this segment called Stupid Pet Tricks that went on for 20 years <laughs> and was massively popular. It was just people would bring their pets in. And they would come out and just do whatever they did. And, you know, you'd have dogs answer, who could answer a phone. And it was great. And it was just so simple. Yeah. And it went for 20 yeah. years. <laughs> and was there, was, there, was there pressure? There was pressure to come up with stuff. But was that when they went, oh, we're not using that. Was there... I, I briefly wrote on something last year. And I was sat in the studio while they were filming it. And... The, the main woman came through and she, she said to me and uh, the other guy, and she went, right, well, I need 10 jokes on this subject. Yeah. I need them yeah. now. And we had to run off to this room and come up with them. And then, we, and we were all pleased with ourselves. We were laughing at them in the room. Oh, these are great. These are great. These are great. And we gave them to her and she went, nah, not using that now. We're doing yeah. this. <laughs> and it was, you had to, to get to that point, you go, it's not personal. No, you got to learn that right away. That yeah. it's, you know, you, you may think it's great. Your buddies might think it's great. Your co-writers might think it's great. The host just doesn't feel comfortable doing it. The host wants to do it and it doesn't work. And then they look at you like it's, you know, yeah. what did you give me this for? <laughs> the Letterman was never really like that. He was, if you could make him laugh, he would do it, you know. And yeah. uh, whether whether or not it worked, he you know, he he didn't take, he didn't hold it against you. No. And that's the thing with Letterman. He just has that air of, yeah, well, you know, we'll do it. If it doesn't work, we'll just do something else. Yeah. And, just, and doesn't, he, he, he cared, but he didn't, it wasn't like the end of the no, world. No, no, quite it, often. Yeah. I think the thing that he said the most was he just go, it's only television. He was right. Yes. You know? And that attitude was certainly what came through. You would, you would watch Letterman and, and he kind of got rid of all that sort of Johnny Carson kind of fake, oh, we're all buddies off, the, off screen, you know. Letterman, yeah. everyone knew Letterman had no friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> At least he was honest and he didn't, he didn't, like you say, he didn't pretend. Yeah, no, he, he changed the whole, in, in slight ways, the, the actual format itself, which is a crazy format, which in the sense that if you're a comedian, there's a guy at a desk and the guy introduces you and then you come out and you do your airtight six minute monologue and then you go over and you sit in proximity to the desk, you know, but that, that, yeah. that kind of, uh, you know, um, pecking order is, is, is very well established that 
I'm behind the desk. You will never be behind the desk. You will sit beside the desk. And then as a comedian, you just think, I fucking never wanted a desk job in the first place. That's why I became a comedian. <laughs> but um, that's probably the primary way, the primary route to uh, comedic, comedic success in America is through doing these six-minute spots on talk shows until eventually – Everybody forgets your jokes, but they eventually remember your face and you go, oh, that guy's funny. I'll go see him when he plays, you know, Sir Laughs yeah. a Lot or P.O. Pants or whatever the stupid club is you're at. <laughs> <laughs> There's no shortage. There was no shortage. Not as many as there used Not. to be, but it, it reached a point where every town had a comedy club and you could make a great, you could make a really good living doing it, you know, but it was the same. It really got old. That's yeah. why. That's why I came over here. Right. And how did you find it when you first got over here? What well, the, fir the first thing was I was astounded that you could that the, that the structure of the, that you could come over here and and um, the shows were were structured differently because in America it's the MC then the middle act then you and the MC does ten minutes which is all local jokes about the the nearest crap town and the local slag watering hole and then. <laughs> The middle act comes out and, and does this dribble that with where it segues. You need a fucking neck brace just to, you know, it just shoots from one thing to another. And then you go on and you do your 45 minutes. But the waitresses are running around because people are ordering jalapeno poppers and chili platters. And it's a two drink minimum. So they've already been basically um, raped before they even come in the door. But the two drink minimum, even if you don't drink alcohol, you have to buy two drinks. So, so there's a ticket price. There's a drink minimum imposed on you. There's food. There's surly wait staff. And then while you're on stage trying to, you know, kind of build to some, uh, you know, big finish, the waitresses drop the checks on the table and everybody's yes. settling up. As I'm sure you discovered in whatever it was yeah. in Poughkeepsie, you know, <laughs> people are paying. There's like credit cards just waving around, fluttering around in the wind like sales while you're trying to, you know. <laughs> trying to work through your big yeah. finish and then they kind of settle the tab and then there's about three minutes where they kind of turn back and look at you and now they're thinking i just paid this amount of money you better have something great you know <laughs> it's a tremendous amount of pressure and when i got over here i found that first of all there aren't all those blenders going off in the back and mixed drinks and waitresses people buy a beer they sit down they watch somebody and then there's a break. They go buy another beer. They come back, they sit down and they completely reset. And it's so simple. Yes. Nor, nor, you know, for the most, and these can be anywhere. It can, this can be in a pub. Nobody is just rake, you know, nobody's forked over half a million bucks to call some place the improv or, or <laughs> which yeah. they were doing in America when those, when the improv and, um, laugh factory started franchising their names you'd have to pay two or three hundred thousand dollars to use that name wow so that's your investment before you even brought anybody in to watch a show just thinking that the name itself the improv is going to bring people yeah. in and i never could and yet there are other clubs you know that are just have a reputation for always having a good show and those clubs have survived yeah absolutely. And that, that's kind of absolutely. true here you know there's so many great places especially in london that are just they're not am they're not overly ambitious. The, the guys the guys running them or the ladies running them are just trying to put on quality shows. And that, that was the first yeah. thing I noticed was just this ability of Brits to to sort of hit the reset button, you know, dismiss the yeah. last guy. Or even if the last guy was fantastic, 
they're still willing to to see what you have to say, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, they don't do that. I remember doing Har Comedy Club in uh, in New York. <laughs> And then they were they were saying, "Oh right, you're going there, you're going there." Oh, and they were going, "Rich, you've got checks. You you got checks tonight." And I'm like, "What's that?" And that's when I discovered what yeah, that meant. Yeah. <laughs> just, and I was brand new, and I'm standing there just with my dick in my <laughs> yeah. head, going, Ugh. "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." But I tell you what, it was character mm-hmm. building. It it makes you when you when you gig out of your comfort yeah. zone. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I found when I came here. I was completely out of my comfort zone. But what I had was, it wasn't like I didn't know what I was doing. I knew exactly what I was doing. It was just a completely different setting. And it was more conducive to what I wanted to do, you know. I'm not slick. I think a lot of a lot of American comedians, and very good ones, are also very, very polished. And that's, mm. that's actually what you appreciate about them. And here there was something rough around the edges that, that I think was more, that shows more of the, the personality of the comedian. You know, as opposed yeah. to just being this vehicle for some really well-written material, you can kind of, they just kind of come through, you know? And I think the, that's, that, that seemed more genuine, you know? Yeah, that's like when I've seen you and you're, you bridge that, you managed to get that, bridge the gap or that, it's like a hot pot of um, like honesty and then a little bit, and then it gets a little bit surreal. Yeah. But, and then, and, but it's, there's an honesty there about what you're what you're doing you're t- you're just telling stories yeah. and they go off it seems to go off where it, you don't even know where it's going to go half the time you just kind of off yeah you know what i mean and it and it, it was, it's a joy to watch because like i say you don't see that all the time yeah well that's what it, that's what i like doing because i don't want every show to be the same i couldn't i couldn't go out there every night and do the same show word for word oh man you're going some insane. people operate that way you know they will take their shows and go back to their room after the show and listen to it over and over the last thing i want to hear is my voice again after i've been on stage and if something (laughs) strikes me as oh i'll try to remember something that you know that really worked that i hadn't done before and sometimes it just it's it's not meant to be repeated you've got to you've got to give the audience a sense that you just didn't breeze in and you're you're phoning in the same damn show you know that would that would drive me crazy Oh man, I just it's funny what you say. I was, I've had again that very conversation with my partner Jade, and and she said, "Oh, you should record it. You should record it because you always say something different." And I, but I'll say something different next time yeah. as well. If I'm if I'm crowbar, if I'm listening back to what I've just done, it's not it's going to lose that essence. I think so. That, but it depends. It all depends on your approach, you know. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly with music, music is much, much more structured. And I've been the last few years doing tons of music in my show and you're married to a a band, you know, you're married to what they're playing Mm -hmm. and in between the songs, you know, uh, there's quite a lot of, uh, uh, improvising, you know, how I'm going to get into it. But once you're into the song, you can't, you've got to go, you know, the band has been, they've rehearsed this and they practice it and they're going to, they, you know, you can't just start adding extra measures because everyone will lose their place. And uh, yeah, true. so you got to stick to a pretty strict format and it's good. I appreciate that, you know, but I also like yeah. not having to rely on that. When you're yeah. on your own, you can just yeah. cut loose. Yeah. Yeah. And what do you make of it now? I mean, it seems to be, whereas before 
it just all you had to do was be funny. Comedians just needed to be funny. But now we all it seems to be we need to jump on causes and and push things rather than just comedy. I don't know. And it, you know, and it, not to not to disrespect. I'm not no disrespect to anybody, but it sometimes feels like we're losing that. Just be well, funny. That's all you got to do. There's a bit of trickery to that because. You know, it's not that different than American comedians who want who give you their credentials before you're introduced. Mm. Thinking that, oh, he's yeah. been on this and this, and and we need to know this because that means that we should respect him more and pay attention that he's probably going to be funny. And you're really trying to just buy the audience's good graces, you know. And I think it's the same when people get on to certain plat- platforms and and throw things in that are just like, oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. We get it. Yeah. Funny. I mean, watch Mike yeah. Wilmot. He doesn't do any of that shit. He just comes out. No. And he's the guy holding up the end of the bar. Even Bill Burr is like that. Bill Burr is just the loudmouth at the bar who happens to have really funny opinions. You know. Yeah. And that's what you yeah. see. And they're, they're not on any. You know, they're not pushing any other agenda than making people laugh. Yeah, and I think you're you. The, just by listening to them, you can work out what their politics are, what the kind of a person they are. They don't need to flag yeah. it up. Nor do you even no. want to. Well, I don't see the point of pigeonholing yourself in any sense. You know, mm. let people make their own impressions of you because you don't know what impression they've really come away with. All you hear is the laughs, and you know, well, that must be pretty funny. And you're not even sometimes, you know, I'm sure you've noticed sometimes you say things, do things that weren't even the intended punchline of the joke and are much funnier. Yeah. Yeah. There's been a couple of times I've gone, well, I didn't even know I was going yeah. to say that. And then you realize, oh, I guess that when you hear people laugh, you kind of think, oh, why are they laughing at that? What did I say? And then you realize that you said something that, that they, that just struck that, to you, you know, you you know what's under the iceberg, you know, you know everything that makes yeah. it up. They've just seen the tip of the iceberg, and they laugh because they were surprised by it, and it was, and it seemed yeah. perfectly normal. Well, that's I just thought I just assumed you knew that, but they don't. They know very little about you, and the less they know about you, the the better. Yeah, true. Yeah, that's the thing now, isn't it? With social media, we know everything about everybody, and. I miss the mystery. I miss that, you know, like your rock stars lived on another planet. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I miss yeah. that that like you said that mystery. Well, I loved. I used to love watching Mitch Hedberg because he never. It was all one-liners, and yet by the end of it, you could see that there was this guy who had a really strange way of looking at things, of really yeah. ordinary stuff. He would pass us, you know, he would just do jokes about seeing a dry cleaning sign saying, "Sorry, we're closed," you know, at three in the morning. And it becomes this whole thing about, you know, why would you put that sign up? And that tells you more about him, as much about him as it does about the, the joke. He never yeah. revealed anything about himself. But, no, but there no, was ever. such a strong and, personality behind those jokes. Yeah, oh, for sure. And then when he and, and and if a joke didn't work, you go, ah, oh, all yeah. right, <laughs> just let's do another yeah. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did you? Um, so did you did you know yeah, Mitch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not real and well. He, I mean, because he was pretty well. I no. mean, we we worked together quite often. Yeah, because even that was just 
you know, I know he was a, you know, he was a, he liked to, he liked to enjoy he himself. He did, yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's still a shock that when yeah, he went. Yeah, it was. Although he, yeah, he Thanks. was in pretty bad yeah. shape. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I got some, oh, some kids have just come home. How old are you? Uh, one seven, but he's got a couple of friends over. Oh, nice. So, oh, good. They're going into the room. Um, it's when you were growing up, because like you say, yeah, there was the southern hospitality. There's that, but also, did you? Are people open with their feelings when they were growing? When you were growing up, I know they were in this country. They're not so much. Like men, especially, were like you got to be a man and you keep that shit down and you you just get on with your life. Or did you? Was that the same with you? Um, well, there was certainly a a, a, a sense of um, kind of chivalry. I suppose male chivalry, male pride, uh, sort yeah. of uh, hunting, fishing, you know, country boy kind of stuff. And I suppose in a way that manifests itself as as not opening up your true feelings, you know. Yeah. But it was just uh, it was just get on with it, you know. Which yeah, if there's a problem. I think uh, go after it, figure it out, you know. I think there was yeah. I was, I was talking to someone the other day. And they were saying, you know, oh, it's taken us years to get men to open up, and now we can't shut you up. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose you have to find that balance. Yeah, don't you? And it depends. Yeah. It's friends and, and relatives. You can, you know, you you can see what's going on with them, and uh, but people you don't know so well. I, I I can't say that men in the South were guarded. They certainly weren't guarded, you know, about their feelings. But I think it just didn't really. You know, they wanted to, they would talk cars, they talked fishing, they talked, you know, sports. Yeah. And just kept it, you know, kept it level, kept it on the level. Yeah. I think it, it could, on a, on a basic level, the, because cars now are, are so modern and you just plug them into a computer and the computer tells you what's yeah. wrong with it. My dad, most weekends would be underneath mm-hmm. the car and then the neighbors would come over and they'd be talking. Yeah. And that's how men would communicate. That's how they would get rid of their stress. And like you say, sports, cars, and that's what that's what they did. And that's been taken away now. It's you don't have that, which is which I think is a shame. Oh, you don't? Yeah, not really. No, you don't really get. Doesn't seem to be like guys underneath their cars on a Sunday. Oh no, no, no! They're watching. They're watching races on TV. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's too, it's too technical now for most people. You know, back yeah. then you knew every part. Of, I had cars that broke down so many times. I knew how to fix everything on them because it was like a Volkswagen. It was the same. You know, you knew where everything was. Yeah. But I couldn't, you know. I open up a, yeah. If I open up a car engine now, I would be looking for a giant on-off switch. <laughs> it's like looking into a giant bread yeah. bin. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I remember that, my first cars and... You just, you got, because I had so many shit cars, I knew what it sounded like when it was working yeah. well. So you'd be driving along, you go, hang on. And it, you just, there'd be a, a, an odd noise and like, ah, oh, yeah. shit. What's, the, I better go and look at that. And going in, going to scrapyards and climbing over the cars to get a start. Sure. Motor. And I miss all yeah. that. You know, that, it, it, nothing to do with being a man. It was just the fact that you could go and do that. Yeah. And, We've we've lost all that. A more innocent time, I suppose. Although, I don't, I don't think I don't think the the tendency of men to just want to take things apart and put them together again is ever going to go away. That's a natural 
watching my seven-year-old oh, yeah. kid, you know, building Lego and just trying to make all kinds of things that he's seen on craft shows on TV. You know, it's just a that doesn't go away. Yeah, it's in you. just you yeah. can't do it with cars anymore. No, just do it with other stuff. That's yeah, that's a good point actually. That's yeah, my lads were the same. My lads, I mean, they're they're twenty-three and twenty-eight now. But yeah, when they were growing up, you'd buy them something, and then you'd come back a week later, and it was yeah. little bits. And you put that together and <laughs> modified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's like, this has got four speakers yeah. now, and you have one. Well, the thing, yeah, the thing about yeah. cars back when I was, you know, when I was younger, and you could have one, is that not only could you work on them, but there was always something you could add to it, to uh, you know, yeah, to make it yeah faster or a bit flashier or sound a bit better, you know. There was yeah. just, you know, stereophonic speakers in the back or a new tape deck or something or mags, baby moons. That's know. it. Uh, I remember there was a story when I was a kid of these lads that had put, it was the first time I'd heard of nitrous oxide and they'd put in new seats in this car and they put the nitrous oxide in there as well, but they hadn't bolted the seats in properly. So when the car, when the car, when they hit the switch, yeah. they just the seats came out and they both ended up in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if that was one of those uh, urban legends. Yeah, because that's it. That's the other thing as well. Because the internet, you don't have those urban myths. That there's that there was that one about it was only a film. They made a film of it and they said the guy that attached a um, a jet uh, a jet engine to his car. Right. And then off of a plane, and then the policeman's going, "Well, you see this? You see where the where the uh, he said he was he was doing a burnout for like like <laughs> like fifty miles." <laughs> he said, "And he said, you see this gap here? You know where they where they where they stop? Well, that's where he left the ground." <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I love. I love those old stories. Yeah. And every, and someone would always tell you that story as if it was a friend of a friend. Right. Yeah. And and I miss that. Yeah, I know at least six people who claim they were there's this very famous show business story about um the comedian red fox who oh, yeah. uh was uh had been the star of sanford and son which was based on a british show i forget which one but he's a uh, uh, steptoe and son or the, he's a garbage, oh yeah he's a yeah, aspect, know, yeah he's a garbage man anyway it was massively popular but then he um and it had a theme song that went you know, like a bat. <laughs> yeah. And then he went to, then it was over and he started touring Vegas and uh, he was in a showroom and there were only about like nine people there, but he had an orchestra that would play the theme song from Steptoe and Son, I mean from Sanford and Son. And so they go, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Red Fox. <laughs> Then he walked out and he went, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine motherfuckers. I don't do a show for nine motherfuckers. Fuck you. Good night. Then the band played. (laughs) Now, there were nine people there, and I talked to at least six people who claimed they were at that show. (laughs) Yeah, see, I love shit like that. It's like over here, everyone, it used to be old men would say that they, we had the gangsters, the craze. Yeah. And all the every time you met an old guy in a pub in the East End, you're like, yeah, I used to drive for the yes, craze. Right. And then someone said, why, did they have a taxi firm? <laughs> it's like 400 of you. <laughs> but I'm hoping, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure the stories are still there. I'm, I'm sure they're still, there'll be stories. Oh, yeah. There has to be, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, there has to be. 
There has to be, man. Rich, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for agreeing Alrighty. to come on. I've had a really nice time okay. talking to you. And I'll tell you this, I've, I have, we have met before once or twice. Right. I remember, because well, I, I, you were the inspiration to me. about. I shortened my name to Rich oh. because of you. I was a big fan of you. And I, when I first started, there was a character called uh, Victor Meldrew. Right. In uh, in this yeah, well, one foot yeah. in the grave, and his 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 catchphrase was "I don't believe it," and his real name is Richard Wilson. Oh, so I'd right. walk out and I was Richard, and I'd get met with this barrage of "I don't believe it," <laughs> yeah, and then and I, and then I shortened it to Rich, and it all went away, and it was you're, it was all inspired by you. But what has happened, and is that it still happens to this day, people forget, and they introduce me as Rich Hall, all right, and you've never seen a more. I'm a disappointed bunch when I walk out and go, hey, they go, nah, that's not the fucking dude. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I still love it. Rich, thank you for coming on. Are you on, on, uh, on the social media or anything like that? Kind of, marginally, marginally. Yeah. Okay. And have you got anything coming out that you need to plug Um, or? No, nothing. <laughs> if, I, if I give you a date, it'll, it'll get changed. True, yeah. very true. Rich, thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me. I really appreciate it, mate. Alrighty. Insane in the membrane. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming, and podcast production. <laughs>